Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Let's go to Portland. I'm assuming this is Portland, Oregon, Heather? Yes, it is. Uh, you had a question about investing. Yeah, so my son is, he's 18, new to investing. He wants to buy a car, but he's $2,000 short. And provides unbiased answers. Now, can it happen? Sure. Uh, what's the best way? What's the, I guess, the most realistic way? Invest Talk. Over 30 million downloads and counting. Um, so I was wondering the best options for long-term growth. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, March 11th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk, and I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. And during this hour, I'm going to drive the show towards our mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. And uh, I'm going to present all of the segments without bias. I'm just going to give you the facts as I see them, whether I'm talking about a stock, an industry, an asset class, the market as a whole, whatever it is, I am here to help you in any way I possibly can. I'm Justin Klein. And of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. You get to shape the show. That is the ethos of Talk. Your caller questions drive it all. And in fact, you can interact right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can leave a question anytime in our Invest Talk voice bank, and we will answer it on a future show. And either way, that number never changes, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to the first question now. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Darren in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I appreciate the show. I uh, was curious what y'all thought of UVXY. I guess you'd call it a leverage account that goes against how the market is doing. And it's currently sitting at about $9.75. If there is going to be any kind of pullback or correction, do you feel like this is a good time to get, say, 100 shares of this and sit and wait? And when it everything flip-flops, go ahead and sell it and then buy back into stuff at a lower price, more uh, safe, safe stocks at that point. So anyway, just curious to get your opinion. Thanks. All right, looking at UVXY, which is the ProShares Ultra VIX short-term ETF. And while you said this goes up when the market goes down, there is definitely some correlation there. But more accurately is it tracks the volatility index as a whole. And uh, there are many times where the market could go down and the volatility index goes up. Or does not go down, excuse me. Sorry, does not go up, does go down, right? So they aren't 100% correlated, and therefore the UVXY and the S&P or the market as a whole aren't correlated 100% either. So the bigger question is, is this the right vehicle? If that's what you're trying to do is to play some pullback in the market on the short side, 
is this the vehicle to use? And I'm going to say no. There's a lot of issues with the role of the volatility index and going long vol and all that. And there's there's a lot of pressure for volatility to be suppressed. And there there's a lot of mechanisms within the market to keep volatility suppressed. And so you're kind of swimming upstream with this uh, because of all the the headwinds for the price of this. Now, if volatility really does break out, yes, it certainly can explode to the upside. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think you have a better opportunity with something like a triple leverage short ETF. Not to say I'd recommend those, but as a trade trying to play a pullback, to me that's a much better option uh, than this. Now, once again, I would need I would do neither. Uh, I would just move to more cash, uh, etc. But uh, it's not a name for me. This is only a, only a short-term trading vehicle. And when that VIX is actually going to turn is extremely hard to know. Now, why am I doing this podcast? Well, you know, well, I know you need strategies to help with this market environment and to reach your ultimate goal. Right? We all are here to work our way towards a continue, continuation of success, either for us, Steve and I, or to help you along that path of being able to sustain successful money and investment decisions. And that's why I'm ready right now to take your calls on our Invest Talk listener line at 888 chart. So give me a call. Now let's check in the market today. The S&P closed at, it looks like, if I'm looking at this correctly, it looks like an all-time high right near we were kind of mid-February after that pullback. Now, there continues to be a rotation. The Qs and the, and, and the growth side of the market definitely had a, a strong rebound today from the sell-off yesterday. Uh, you know, we've had a kind of vacillating of the last four or five days or so of growth leading, value leading. But still, we remain, while the S&P is right near all-time highs, the Qs are below its 50-day moving average, which is pretty crazy. So you're seeing that big dichotomy there. Now, rates have started to moderate. You had a good jobs number uh, that came out today. You had uh, you have the 10-year moderating right around the 1.5 level, 1.5. And I think I've said this before. This is kind of the area we're likely to see resistance consolidation before uh, an eventual move higher. But in the meantime, you're seeing that sideways movement. Now, what areas of the market did best today? Kind of besides tech, well, the gold miners did well. There's a lot of earnings out of some of the big players. So the about 2% on the day. You also had industrials that was flat, uh, but closed at uh, an all-time high, the industrial side of the market. And what's interesting is that utilities, while weak today, had been strong the last few days. So you're seeing that kind of uh, vacillation between value and growth in, in that sector as well. Uh, and the semiconductors. Semiconductors had a very strong day, but once again, still remains below the 50-day moving average. So it's a big little bit of check-in there across the board, various sectors, various areas of the market. Hope that give you some perspective about where we're at. And later in the show, I'm going to touch on our main focus point, and this relates to this market rotation. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We're now almost done with the second trading week of March. And with all the changes we see happening in the economy and the market, it's important to remember that during these periods of transition and uncertainty, the task of building 
our financial freedom must continue. So you cannot afford to backslide, and that is why I'm here to help you with your own individual goal of financial freedom, which will require the right information and effective strategies. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Let's head over to Los Angeles and talk with Mike. He's looking at QYLD, which is the global NASDAQ 100 covered call buy right uh, ETF. So this is an ETF that owns the NASDAQ 100 and sells covered calls. Yields about 11.3%. Uh, you own it or are you looking to buy it, Mike? I've bought a few shares just to kind of test the waters with it, but um, that, that annual dividend yield seems a little too good to be true, so I'm kind of just hanging on to see, um, you know, if there's a price point that's better to get in it at or how reliable this is, or is there something that's kind of too good to be true here? I uh, would love your thoughts to know kind of a little bit of the backstory on this and what, what, how these covered call ETFs could play out as like an income producer. Yeah, well... We uh, operate a covered call strategy. You know, we're buying, uh, it's different than this. Uh, we buy individual equities, about 25 to 30 different names, all paying a dividend, whereas this is focused on na all the NASDAQ 100 stocks, right, and selling call options on these names, bringing in a lot of premium, and that's really where that's coming from, is that option writing uh, portion of the portfolio. Now, if you look, though, since 2018, this has uh, hit a high around $25 a share. It collapsed big time back in March, down to about 17 Now we're back to about $22.72. So think over the last handful of years how strong the NASDAQ has been. And this, from uh, a price perspective, is down, call it 10% uh, since 2018. Yes, you've received about maybe 30% in option premiums. But the NASDAQ has done much, much better than that over that time frame, frame right? So, you know, while I like the covered call strategy uh, in general, um, I'm not sure this is the right index for that, to be honest with you. Um, so understand that with that yield comes price depreciation of underlying asset, most likely, and still a lot of volatility, right? These, this is an area where there can be big sell-offs. One of the issues with the covered call strategy is, yes, you're hedging your bid on the, a bit on the downside. You're bringing a lot of income. But when the market or a particular area of the market melts down precipitously, those covered calls are only going to hedge you uh, a bit on the downside. Uh, so that's why we use individual. We use dividend-paying stocks because their volatility t tends to be a lot lower than something like the Nasdaq, right? So when the market drops, they naturally drop less, and then you already have hedges on a bit a hedge in there. So to me, I just don't like the covered call writing on this part of the market. So 
you know, it's not a bad ETF. It's not a bad strategy. Uh, it just doesn't get me uh, that excited. And I don't think you're getting that kind of more moderate risk level that most people are looking for when they're looking for, when they're trying to buy a covered call strategy or having a high dividend yield like this. Thanks for the call, Mike. Let's talk with Richard in the Bay Area looking at GRBK, which is, let's take a look at this, Green Brick Partners. Do you own Green it or are you looking to buy it? I own it. I, I just had a question okay. about, it's just weird that about a month ago they offered shares at $20.50, so they diluted us. And and now, just a few days ago, they announced a share buyback. Um uh, so why, why would you? Why would they do something like this? And is this a company that you think? Um, I've owned these companies before, and I feel like they're they're always offering shares. So do you think this would mm-hmm. be one of those companies, or do you think the numbers of shares outstanding over the years has been reasonable? Well. You are right that they had been issuing a lot of shares. From 2011, they had 7 million shares outstanding. As of 2017, they had 50 million shares outstanding and then 51 in 2018. But I'm not seeing that they've issued more shares, uh, although that, you know, like you said, that could have been more recent. I would have to dig into that. Are you sure that it was an equity offering? It could have been a preferred stock offering. Do you think it could have been something like that? Uh, yeah, you obviously know better, but that's my that was my, what I got from the news is that they issued here at two and at twenty and a half to a private. Company. Oh, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Money launched a public offering of six million common shares. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Back on uh, January twenty fifth, that was the news. I have to look at the stock buyback. Was that in the recent news? A recent earnings? Yeah, excuse it, me. Yeah, that's just a couple of days ago. Yep. Yeah, that does not make sense. Now, share buybacks often happen over a longer period of time, right? Where uh, it's usually the next quarter, six months, year. They have a, they have a, they have a an approval for the company to buy back X dollar amount of shares, and they do that typically slowly over time on dips, etc. They don't have a, a lot of urgency to it, but they they do it more regularly. Now, the issuance of shares, though. Uh, back in January, maybe that was they needed that infusion of cash in the short term to close a land deal, right? Because this is a a home builder, right? And so maybe they needed an infusion of cash for a particular deal. That's the only thing I can think of. But you're right. It doesn't make sense to issue a bunch of shares in January and then go start buying them back in, in, in March. Uh, so I would really like to see an explanation of that more deeply. Now, the business, I... Uh, it's it's a good time to be in the home building in the, in, industry, especially if the Fed caps rates. So uh, I'm not totally against it. I don't dislike it. It's not relatively expensive. Uh, to me, I would be a holder. Now we're heading into a break, and the phone lines are very active today. So if you're on hold, please be patient. Our number never changes, 888-99-SHARK. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Let's head up to Glendale and talk with John. He's looking at Turquoise Hill Resources. This is a miner of copper and gold in China. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Uh, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I'm looking to buy it. Uh, I, is this a good entry point or is it, is it has it gone up too far too fast? Well, it's definitely gone up far, but it's not particularly overbought after this recent pullback. And it's in a solid uptrend. And I like kind of the, the broad story here. But let me give you kind of the pros and the cons. The pros are I like copper and gold. I think uh, both are going to be in high demand over the next decade. Uh, gold from a debasement of currency standpoint and copper from an input in uh, green uh, products of all different kinds. And so I like what you're looking at in that sense. Now, the biggest issue here, though, is that this is one mine. They own a 66% interest in the Oyu Tolgoi, T-O-L-G-O-I, I don't know how you say that, but one of the world's largest copper, gold, and silver mines. So all great. But the problem is it's in China, and it's on the border, the Mongolia-China border. It's, it's one mine. If there's something happens with that mine, this is a company, this is a stock that could go down 30 40% in a day. If China decides to, hey, we want to nationalize that mine uh, and use the resources for our own green initiatives or whatever, right? So those, those things can happen in a communist country. So this is certainly a high risk play and you need to understand those risks, okay? But if you're willing to do, to, to take those risks on the single mine company, this is a good area, right? That, this, a gold, silver, copper mine is exactly the type I would want to own. Ideally, though, I'd want to own a lot of different ones across different countries, different uh, regions, etc. And I would feel more comfortable in that way. This is just high risk. So chart-wise, it's fine. Industry, it's fine. But understand those that single mine risk. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... A little bit north of Glendale, which all the way up in San Jose, California. We're going to talk to Will. He's looking at Alta. Hey, Dustin. Yeah, I'm looking at Alta. So I'm just wondering if this is a good buy point. Uh, there was some recent news that came out today after hours that uh, the CEO is going to step down and forecast for the next year is not going to look any better. I'm looking to see if there's some support here. So I want to see what, what you're seeing as well. Yeah, I'm seeing this is down uh, pretty decent after hours. It's up four bucks today, but after hours it's down to 20, about $23 per share. So tough earnings. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan. I, I like Ulta as a company, but you're starting to see uh, I think saturation uh, in this in this market. If you look at their growth, even pre-COVID. The first quarter of, of last year, revenue up 9%, earnings up 6%, right? It's supposed to make $12 a share next year. It's a $347 stock. Uh, and, you know, they don't have any debt, which I like, but you're still trading at uh, 27 times enterprise value to EBITDA. That's pretty steep for a company that, even if you get back to pre-COVID levels, is still a single-digit grower. And so... You know, around $150 a share, interesting. $350 a share, not so interesting. So I don't think it's a good buy, especially after this recent earnings report, CEO stepping down, et cetera, would pass on Ulta. 
Let's head up even more north than San Jose. Let's go to Portland. I'm assuming this is Portland, Oregon, Heather? Yes, it is. Okay. Not Portland, Maine. Okay. Uh, you had a question about investing. Yeah. So my son, is he's 18, new to investing. He wants to buy a car, but he's $2,000 short. He has three weeks to mm-hmm. come up with $2,000. So he's got several different things going, but one of them is to take $1,000 and invest it in the stock market and um, wondering what kind of investments he should make when it's such a super short um, time frame. So you're basically asking me what investments are going to turn $1,000 into roughly $3,000 in two weeks? Yeah, basically. He's got three three weeks, but he actually has more than that because I'll make sure he, he gets the money he needs to get the car. But um, Okay. Yeah, he just wants to well, make as much as he Whether it's two can. weeks, three weeks, four weeks, yeah, no matter how many weeks it is, uh, it's just unreal. It's not a realistic thing to say, I'm going to take $1,000 and turn it into 3000 over a very short period of time. Now, can it happen? Sure. Uh, what's the best way? What's the, I guess, the most realistic way to do that would probably be options of some kind, right? Playing earnings, um, you know, there's what's going on with Wall Street bets and having some sort of a gamma squeeze on, on options that you own that are not too far to the money and you can earn that amount uh, in, in a short period of time. But you can also lose all of the thousand very, very easily, okay? So... If you're asking me how to triple any amount of money over a few week time frame, it's it's going to have to be options of some kind. Now, I don't know how seasoned you are, seasoned he is on the options world, probably not. And so it's going to be even more difficult. It's difficult for somebody like me who knows a lot about options to make that type of money. Um, so I think you're, what you're trying to do is really a fool's errand you're likely to lose it all versus triple it in a few weeks. Thanks for the call. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life 
that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. It's been another Investor Thursday, and we've all seen the market move up, down, and all around. It's called volatility, and you'll have investment and finance questions for Steve and Justin. They welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to New Orleans and talk with Jake. Uh, what's your question, Jake? Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I'm a recent graduate, and I uh, just happened to have a secure small portfolio of about 500. Um, so I was wondering the best options for long-term growth, either I was thinking dividend stocks or maybe putting some into an ETF. Um, I was wondering, looking for your opinion on it, on the market. Well, price is very important when you're looking at uh, any investment. When I say price, I mean value. Uh, if you look longer, so you're talking about long-term growth. Well, long-term, what's very important is the price you pay for particular securities. Uh, in this market, the value side is a lot cheaper than the growth side. Now, that's not always the case, but in today's market, that is. So dividend investing is kind of a form of value investing. And the fact that you're a new investor, I think the process of collecting dividends... Um, and watching the market in that way and seeing that income coming into your portfolio on a consistent basis uh, will be beneficial. That being said, I think you're focused on the wrong side. You're focused, you have $500. You're focused on uh, the investment side. You're f not focusing on the right things. I know you just recently graduated and you focus on saving. Number one, most people focus too much on investing. It's more interesting and saving. Well, guess what? The vast majority of anyone's financial success when it comes to their investment portfolio will be the amount they're willing and able to save on a consistent basis. Okay. So uh, I'm glad you're a recent graduate. I'm glad you're, you're, you're focused on this because focusing early is important. But this is the time to learn. Do less learn more, and save more. Anybody who's early on in their investment experience, that should be their mantra. 
And so that's the wisdom, I guess, I would probably impart on you as a recent grad with a small portfolio. Keep learning. Let's go to Pittsburgh and talk with Joe. He's looking at Target. Hey, how's it going, man? I uh, bought into Target right at the beginning of COVID. Um, So it was about a year ago. Uh, Low 100s, so I'm up about 54%. Uh, Just been reinvesting the dividends, holding it for the year, just wondering if with the profits that I have right now, is it time to, to get out, or is this a company that you think that is a long-term hold that's going to uh, see you know consistent growth over the years? So interested in your thoughts. Sure. Well, I'll say this. I like Target as a company, but I do not like it at this price. I think it's very overvalued. There's been a lot of tailwinds. I said this about the likes of Costco, the likes of Walmart, uh, and Target is... The exact same, right? When you shut down the economy and a lot of other types, a lot of stores that typically get a lot of traffic, foot traffic, etc., cetera, uh, that, and you coalesce all the consumer spending into a handful of areas, right? On, on Amazon.com, on Walmart.com, on Target.com, and in these big box stores like Walmart, Target, Costco, uh, Home Depot, etc., all those names are going to get massive tailwinds to their business. And you see that with Target's performance, right? You're, over the last four quarters, revenue was up about average about 20, 25%. Okay. Pre COVID, revenue growth was two, five, four, five percent you know, low to mid single digits. And so pre COVID, they were making, I don't know, five, $6 a share expectations today for 2023 two years from now is nine dollars and 54 cents that's up from from the 2021 uh fiscal year remember every company's fiscal year is a little different these earnings are going to trend back closer to their 2019 pre-covid levels and so the expectations are far too high for the likes of target now is target a bad company no target is a very good company but at these valuations, it's just not realistic, right? Trailing 12 months free cash flow on Target, $7.8 billion. Pre-COVID, it was at 2.5. What are the odds we trend back closer to that 2.5-3 billion range? Pretty good. So at $179 a share, about a $90 billion market cap, too expensive. Because that's reopening. All the stores are reopening. There are going to be some longer-term tailwinds, sure. But this needs to be $100 a share, at least one, at, at the bare minimum, I would not even think about this until 125 It's at 179 now. 125 I'll reassess. Now, my focus point today concerns this story. A noted market bull favors value stocks and warns the NASDAQ rebound will unravel. And this is coming from Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. Now, I will preface this that Jeremy is a noted perma bull. He's been a perma bull for 20, 30 years. And guess what? In general, he's been pretty right. But he was a bull during the financial crisis as well. So, you know, a lot depends on government policy and he's gone along with it. Now he predicts that the hottest economy, this is the hottest economy we're going to see in a long time. And, you know, with the level of stimulus, I believe that. But what's interesting is that he does see, as well, the continued rotation 
out of big tech and into the reopening economy, the stimulated economy, the green economy. And he does not think we're done with long-term interest rates going up, which I agree with. Now, part of this, which she doesn't talk about, which I think is very important, is the momentum side of the market. And the momentum, what we call factor investing. And, and in today's market, there's a lot of market movements that are structural, right? That indexing is creating certain anomalies that we haven't seen in the market, right? Because of investing simply based on a formula. And momentum is that way as well. And there are a lot of hedge funds, mutual funds, ETFs, etc., that invest based on momentum. Momentum typically is looking at the past 12 months and looking at the best performance. It's basically momentum chasing. Well, what happens is that when the momentum side of the market starts to wane, right? Those top holdings of the momentum sector, and that's what if you look at the uh, MTUM, which is a, a good tracker of the momentum factor ETF, that's gone down pretty pretty nicely from about $180 a share, hit a low of about 150, bounced a little to 162 today, but it's now in a downtrend, very similar to the NASDAQ and once again, the growth side of the market. Well, the, it, if you continue to see this rotation out of tech and into financials, industrials, commodities, once we hit March, which we're in, it's called the end of March and into April, May timeframe, suddenly the best performing names are going to be less tech focused and more industrial, commodity, financial focused. And so we could be just seeing the beginning of the rotation into the value side of the market. And that's what I argue. And I think that's what Jeremy Siegel argues as well for different reasons. But I think that momentum factor is very important to understand as well. It's part of that market structure that is different today than in the past. That's driving a lot of misallocations of capital and just blind investing without a focus on value. But we know short term, the market is a voting mechanism. Long term, it is a weighing mechanism. And we're starting to see that return to the weighing part of the market. Let's go to James in New York. He's looking at G-N-O-G, which is Golden Nugget Online Gaming. Yeah, I was thinking of maybe trying to get into the space a little bit, and I don't know if you have a fair value for this company um, or if it's even worth taking a chance on it in general. No, it's kind of new. It just uh, got, I believe it hasn't been doing well for like the last two months, but I didn't know if there's a level that might be a good entry point. Hmm. This is interesting. What This is Golden Nugget Online Gaming. Did this go public via SPAC? It looks like it, right? Yeah, it did. Yes, I believe it did. Okay. And I'm assuming it recently changed its uh, ticker symbol? Yes. Okay. So I don't have a lot of information on this because it's a SPAC and hasn't really had that full uh, time as a public company. So uh, my systems aren't giving me a whole lot on it. What I will say is based on what I'm seeing, let me look at the market cap because one is saying the market 
$5,531 million. You compare that to a DraftKings, which is kind of similar, right? $56 billion uh, on that side. So I'm looking relative. That, that seems pretty good. Um, but I would really need to know more data on this, and my systems just aren't giving me it because it's a SPAC. I like what you're looking at. I think online gaming certainly is going to continue to get more adoption and the more ways and easier to gamble online, more integration with the major sporting leagues. And so I like what you're looking at. Technically, though, I will say it's looking relatively strong. It did hit support around that $12 level. It was also a SPAC. So what is the dilution with warrants? How is that structure? These SPACs structures are very interesting, very odd, very very different between different SPACs. They're definitely not uniform. So I'd really have to do a lot of digging here, and frankly, I haven't. So I wish I could give you more, but I like what you're looking at. I like the space, and I would do a lot of research about the future of the business and that SPAC structure. Now, we cannot ignore our voice bank questions. This came in earlier from Wisconsin. Yeah, hi, Steve or Justin. This is Don from Wisconsin. I've been listening to your podcast about six months. Thank you for all that you do, period. When I'm looking for a valuation for a company, I'm wondering what kind of tools do you think the consumer, such as myself, use that might be helpful? I have a Morningstar subscription, but I still feel like I need some assistance with how to do appropriate company valuation and to see if they earn money or not. Any help is greatly appreciated. Have a great day. All right. Well, if you have a Morningstar Premium, I think that goes a long way. They're, they have great reports on the, the bigger companies in the market, kind of pros and cons, bull bear cases. So that breaks down in, in a very independent way. And that's one reason I think Morningstar is, is, is a very good resource is because they're not tied in with uh, some investment bank that might have a banking relationship with the firm, with the, with the company, right? And you've seen a lot of conflicts of interest uh, over the history of Wall Street where, you know, the research arm that publishes reports, they get a little nudge-nudge from the other side of the investment bank that, hey, you better write some good things about this company because we want to make sure we get their business to issue shares, to issue bonds, etc. Right, where Morningstar doesn't really have does does not have that, which I like. So it's a good place to start. And you certainly there's enough information there to see the longer term history uh, of the business, the company, and cash flows, earnings, etc. So that'll go a long way. I think what's more important is the screener. Morningstar screener is not the best. It's it's okay. It's uh, it's certainly uh, not the best in the, in the industry though. We use Y charts. I think uh, we use the professional version. There's also a cheaper uh, consumer version that I would be, I would consider because there's a lot of great features uh, from portfolio construction to screening tools that go, I think, deeper than Morningstar on the analytics perspective. Uh, there's a lot of economic data that you can see what comes out and the history of that particular data series and correlates and, and just, there's just so many tools there. So, you know, we like Y charts uh, in that way. So hope that helped. Finviz for everyone else, that's free, right? Y charts cost money. Finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z. It's a good basic tool, basic uh, screening tool, some, some good information. Uh, so you can get decent information. It's really more about having the discipline and perspective 
to be successful. I'm Justin Klein. You listen to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. And I've said before, we've officially crossed the 30 million download mark in the history of Invest Talk. We've been doing it since 2008, but certainly the last few years have seen hyper, hyper growth for this show. And we appreciate all of you for tuning in, no matter where you're listening, whether it's live on our website, investtalk.com, whether it's through the Invest or the podcast app on the your iPhone or iOS device that's the majority of our downloads or maybe it's just uh, on one of the various podcast apps Google Play Spotify etc we thank you no matter where you're listening and we encourage you to reach out to us ask you ask us questions via telephone email etc we love your questions and like I said before that drives the show now, of course, you're also welcome to call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California. That number is 800-557-5461. Uh, if you want to reach out, just uh, ask a little perspective on uh, your portfolio, the market, you know, anything financial, we can help with that as well. We do free portfolio reviews all the time. I actually have five lined up tomorrow. So tomorrow's going to be pretty busy uh, for me. But I love it. I, I encourage all of you, big, small, if it's just a little, you know, you want a little feedback on, on what you're doing, we can do that. If you're just recently retired or going to be retired soon and figure out how to produce income from your portfolio, we help with that as well. All across the board. Maybe you're, you know, in your 30s or 40s, you amass a substantial amount, you just need help trying to find the right direction, trying to find the right strategy. We do that as well. So all of that we can help with, and we would love to help you. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. is invest talk is your portfolio balanced is it optimized is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom well turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers and justin klein is here now ready to take your calls live 888-99-CHART Hi, my name is Jason from Memphis. I'm calling regards to Lumen Technologies, ticker L-U-M-N. I was just wondering what you thought of the company and whether you thought that dividend was safe. So I'll look forward to the answer off the air, and thanks for all you do. All right, great question. L-U-M-N, which is formerly CenturyLink. We actually own this for clients in many of our managed accounts. Yield 7.4%. Now, we don't expect that to increase anytime soon. In fact, they had they cut their dividend. When was this? Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Back in 2000, pre-COVID, 2018. Yeah, fourth quarter. So they went from $0.54 cents a share down to $0.25 cents a share. But it's still, and that's per quarter, so about a dollar per, uh, per year. $13.59 stock. Let's see, we're getting that 7% yield or so. Enterprise value to EBITDA is only eight. Uh, now, their business is in modest decline, but they have a new CEO, and then they're, they're doing things to uh, cut overhead, improve profitability, improve cash flow, uh, repair their balance sheet. And I think uh, we think that they're on 
a very sustained path towards having a, a balance sheet that is in line with historical average. Right now, it's financial leverage is about five. Historically, it's closer to three. I think that's going to be a few years before they get back there, but they will eventually get back there. Uh, they are one of the largest providers of um, high-speed data delivery uh, in the world, and so we we like that. Uh, we like the the business overall, even though it doesn't look like it's this big grower. I think we're going to get to a point here in the next few years where uh, a lot of their legacy business, which makes it look like they are shrinking from a revenue standpoint, which is still, it's true, down 3% year over year, but their earnings last quarter were up 45%. So management is certainly turning around their business uh, from a earnings and cash flow perspective, and that's why we write like Lumen Technologies, L-U-M-N. Now, I know I can get in at least one more caller question before this episode ends. So let's grab one from a listener in Michigan. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Jacob from Michigan. When I read the prospectus of the ETFs that I own, it says that there's like a 1% management fee that it's going to be charging me. I'm wondering, when does it take that 1% out? Because I've, I've actually never seen that deducted from my stock. Is that when I buy it or when I sell it or, or, or when exactly? Thank you. This is a great question. This is something that a lot of people do not understand about any type of fund, an ETF or a mutual fund, is that there is a management fee of some type. Sometimes it's very small, right? The, for example, the SPY, the net expense ratio is 0.095%. So basically uh, 10 basis points annually, roughly. And others charge as much as 2 3%. For, for very expensive ones doing complex uh, investment strategies, etc. That money is taken out, though, every day. It's taken out of the NAV, what is called the net asset value. So while you may know it's there, even if you are conscious of it, you don't see it. It's phantom. That's why I see a lot of advisors investing in ETFs and mutual funds. I'm like, why? You're getting double, you're double charging your clients for a management fee. And then you're just outsourcing the management to somebody else. We use individual securities. So there's not that extra layer of fees. And so that fee, that management fee, that expense ratio is coming out a little tiny bit every single trading day from that NAV. The firm that issued it, and manages that ETF, they're getting paid every day. Once again, you don't see it, but it's coming out out of the value of your position in that particular fund, whether it's ETF or mutual fund. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We post a brand new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, investtalk.com, where you can live stream it 4 to 5 Pacific time. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. 
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 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 